Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the books of the Bible, and tonight's message is on the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, we're not really 100% sure who the author is, and they kind of state that it's anonymous. Some believe that it might have been Paul because of the way he you know, wrote his letters, that there's some similarities in this letter to the Hebrews than there is to some of the letters that he wrote to some of the other churches. What we can tell, though, is the, the author, you know, had first-hand relationships with the disciples, who themselves were also around Jesus. So we know that this letter is anchored in the teachings of Jesus and what the apostles were also teaching in that time. We also don't know the specific audience. This letter and who it was written to and where they lived, what we can tell from the author that he knows them really well and assumes that they have first-hand knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline through the first five books of the Bible, which they would call the Torah, which we would call the Pentateuch. You know, he talked about Abraham's family, and it became the nation of Israel, and how Moses, you know, led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments that they made a covenant with God and built the tabernacle where the priests offered sacrifices and how they wandered themselves through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that these readers all know these details and all these stories. So most likely the audience is Jewish Christians of that day, potentially Jewish Christians you know, in Rome. You know, This is where they get the, the, the name of the letter, Hebrews. For some of you ladies, it's how you get your man out of bed to make coffee. <clears throat> it's time for he to brew the coffee. But anyway, bump, bump, ching. This is where we get the name Hebrews from, because it's the Hebrew nation. I don't care, that was funny. But anyway, you know, we see that they're facing persecution and, and potential imprisonment for the association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away and potentially abandoning their faith. You know, the author, the author is trying to encourage these believers by telling them that in the past God spoke to their ancestors in many different ways, but in the last days that he has spoken to us through his son. So the author is saying that Jesus is superior to the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. Then he is making this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature, that these metaphors are making this close identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is the rays of the light of the sun, or Jesus was the wax impression of the signet ring as it would be on the seal that things were sealed with Christ. For this author, there there is no God apart from Jesus. That Jesus is God, that he became human as the Son of God. In this, he's elevating the views of Jesus. The author is expressing through the rest of the letter that Jesus was the first to come as they compared them to angels. That in Jewish tradition, it was taught that in Deuteronomy 33.2, that the angels brought the law to Moses. Now, I don't see that in Scripture, but 
the Jewish tradition is teaching that the angels brought that to, to Moses. What I see is that God and Moses were kind of talking about the Ten Commandments. So what I think, and this is my opinion, so take it for what it's worth, I think that because throughout the Old Testament they lost communion with God, they thought that somehow God was far off from Moses as well, and somehow angels brought him the law. And what I believe that he is trying to interject into the text is that we can have communion back with God through Jesus Christ. That we don't need angels to, to bring us God's word, that we can go directly to the source. You know, so these messengers of God in, in the past, including Moses and the law, that the author is, is warning the readers that Jesus is more superior than any other way that God has spoken in the past. That Israel is to pay attention to the Torah, but it's more important that we're paying attention to Jesus and his new message that he is announcing because he is the Son of God. And Jesus states that he is high above the angels. And how remarkable is it that he gave up his high status to come down and become human, to suffer and to die. That in Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's greatest humility. As Jesus simply lowered himself to join us here on earth. That in this humanity, that he gave himself up to the tragic, tragic fate of dying for our sins. So from here, the author is stating that Jesus is superior than Moses, who led the people through out or through the wilderness, you know, and this is how they became the nation known as Israel. That through this wilderness, they built their tabernacle, and Jesus also is leading God's people through this crazy wilderness. But as we see that that Moses built the tent and the tabernacle, that Jesus built all of creation. That when he tells the story of how the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into the promised land. So he also, the, the author, warns us again that Jesus is greater than Moses, and how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against Jesus in our wilderness seasons, that in this environment, that when we are fearing the most we must trust Jesus that we must not rebel out of our fear and run from the giants in the land you know that so often this world is screaming at us in many different ways and when we stand up for Jesus the world comes crashing back at us you know and it's interesting you know how sometimes when we stand up for Jesus even Christians attack us you know, and we need to realize that we, we don't need to, to step back in fear. That it's not our battle. That what they're really attacking is the good news of Christ. That He came and died and set us free. See, what humanity wants to do is put them place, put themselves in the place of Jesus. And somehow we are good enough, or somehow I've mastered it, or somehow I've done enough good works to regain righteousness. And what Jesus' message is telling us is that that's never going to happen. That we're always falling short. That we're always sinners. You know, and that's hard for some of us to truly hear because I want to say that I am doing better now, which is true. But yet I'm doing better because of 
Jesus in me, that the same power that rose Christ from the grave dwells inside each and every one of us, that my heart has been regenerated because of that good work, that nothing in my good intentions, nothing in my good works, nothing in my good morals, nothing in my own righteousness is ever going to set me free. That it only comes from Jesus. You know, and Jesus is the only one that can set our minds and our hearts and our lives free. And how often we try to modify our behavior and yet fall short. You know, the best way to look at this is any time that we've tried to adjust our diet. You know, and we may do it for God and we may feel convicted, but somehow the the wrong foods come calling at least my name. You know, and I know that there's times that there's this implication that we try this behavioral modification in our lives, which is sometimes very good behavior. But without Christ reworking the nature of our heart, our autopilot returns back to sin. You know, and it's so important that we realize that it's only in Christ that we find real freedom. You know, and there's many times that we, we try to find freedom in other places, and yet it falls short. And I believe that what the writer is telling them that even in their religion, even in the law of Moses, even though Moses was a great leader, that if we follow just Moses and we try to obey the law and we try to obey all the things that we've been taught, we still fall short. That it's only in Christ that we find freedom. And it's only Christ that will help us to battle through our own wilderness into the promised land. That we miss out the future and what he has for us. That he compares... Jesus, to this person who laid down his life so each and every one of us could have freedom that goes beyond our understanding, that there's an eternity that's waiting for us that only Jesus can open the door to. That so often, fear rules us. You know, we allow fear to come into our minds and, and begin to, to help us to, to control our situations because we think we need to help Jesus. And so often in, in these moments, we miss out on the opportunity to trust Him and walk through those difficult seasons, those difficult times, those, those times when everything inside of us is telling us to run away. You know, as the, the Israelite nation was entering in the promised land and the spies came back, you know, there was only two that said, let's do it. All the rest of them are looking at all the negative things that were going to happen in the promised land and, and then in that fear, it cost them their chance to have what God had in store for them, at least for that generation. And how often do we allow fear to get in our way from what God wants to do in our lives if we could just hang on for just another second, just another moment, just to get around that corner, just another day, just another week, just another month. We don't really know when God is going to move. However, we know that He will move. you know, And we believe that He has something great in store for us. You know, that all throughout the Old Testament, you see, you know, as they they get through the difficult times and then they repent and then they turn back to God and God restores them, that in time they go back to the way that it once was, you know, and worshiping idols and allowing the other tribes in and allowing the other, you know, compromises in their lives. And they weren't facing these things and dealing with them the way that the law and the way Moses and Joshua and many other of the prophets warned them about. 
And here, once again, this author is warning them, you know, as modern-day Christians in that time, which is 2,000 years ago, that either we can do things the way we've always done it, or we can trust Jesus and move forward. You know, and these are difficult times. You know, every one of us has something that's going on in our lives that we really have to lay down at the foot of Jesus and say, it's your way or no other way. You know, it could be situations in our families. It could be situations with your kids. It could be situations with your parents. It could be situations in your finances. It could be situations in your health. You know, and we can grab a hold of the fear and let it drag us to wherever it's going to take us. Or we can grab a hold of Jesus and say, there is no other way. I've tried them all. And I think that that's the comparison that this author is trying to make, is that there's all these other ways that we've used to do things, and they've never really worked. You know, and how often Jesus is usually the last place we turn, even as Christians. You know, the first place we turn is to our friends, and we, you know, confide in them or complain to them, however you want to word that. You know, and then, well, I'll pray for you. And then we pick up the phone and tell somebody else what's going on in so-and-so's life. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, well, what are we doing? We're allowing that fear to cripple us rather than getting before Jesus and saying, I don't know where else to turn. I need your guidance. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your presence to move in this situation. You know, there is no other way than the way of following Christ. There's going to be all these opportunities for us to allow fear to, to creep in. In these opportune moments, the enemy comes to whisper in our ear and try to lead us back into sin or lead us back into bondage in, in many different ways. So I believe that the author is trying to warn them that don't fall for it. Don't believe that the old ways are going to work, that there's only one way and we have to press through it and follow and trust Jesus. You know, next he makes these, you know, comparisons, you know, of Jesus in this line of priests that come from the line of Aaron. That the priest's role was to represent Israel before God and to offer sacrifices to atone or to cover their sins. That people that have put been put in this situation that the priests were themselves morally flawed. So people, so even though that they you know, would offer these sacrifices for the people, they themselves had to offer sacrifices for themselves because they were sinning. That even in the in the best priests, that they were still not able to fully carry out the perfect sacrifice. And he's making this comparison to Jesus, that something else needed to take place. You know, that something else had to be sacrificed to be the complete atonement, to be the complete sacrifice that would cover up our sins once and for all. You know, and that that sacrifice was Jesus. That sacrifice was only Jesus. And that there was nothing more that could be sacrificed other than Christ. That in this time, that they still were struggling with letting go of the old customs and the old ways of doing things. And that he's he's telling them that we don't need to do that that way anymore. You know, that there's something more taking place. That, that Jesus is this ultimate priest. That he came down from the line, he didn't come down from the line of Aaron, but Jesus was in the, in the order of the priests of Melchizedek. 
that he is this mysterious priest king that came from ancient Jerusalem, that he appears in the stories about Abraham, and that we we also see it in the Psalms where the, the messianic king was going to be from the line of David, and this priest was also going to be the, from the line of Melchizedek. So the author is pointing out that Jesus is the ultimate priest king. That so often in the past, you know, that we they would have a king that would be leading the nation, and then they would have a priest who was leading them spiritually, and those those men would get corrupted, and they would allow you know sin into their lives. They would allow the other you know tribes and the other you know nations that were around them to to lead them into worshiping idols, you know, and that they would pray and they would ask God to move in certain situations, and they would use. Sacrifices is a way to manipulate and try to get God's hand to move how they wanted to do it. You know, and how often we've tried to manipulate God and try to get our own wills accomplished in Jesus' name. You know, and it's important that we realize that His will is superior to ours. And so often we think that God gets it wrong, don't we? Or am I the only one? Am I the only one that thinks that God gets it wrong sometimes? Like, is this really what we're going to be doing now? Like, is this the way this is all going to work out? Like, I had way better plans than this, Jesus. And see, I think that they used the religious organization as a way to try to manipulate God, and when they didn't get what they wanted from God, they just said, well, I'll help you. I'll, I'll take care of this. You know, I can't find a wife in my community. I'll just step out and go find a wife somewhere else. I can't find money in my community. Well, I'll just partner with the tribes that are next to me. I'll partner with this, these idol worshipers. It's not a big deal. They're not that bad. You know, and we would see how the corruption would slowly creep in. And what the author is pointing to is that Jesus is that ultimate king who will lead us. And he's also pointing to that he's the ultimate priest, that he will guide us spiritually. You know, and it's so important that we realize that, you know, he is morally flawless. You know, that we say that he's sinless, right? You know, we say it. But then when crunch time happens, we're like, well, do I really trust Jesus in this moment? Because, like, I need to go do this. You know, and we make these bargains. We compromise, you know. But when crunch time happens in each one of our lives, we have that road. Will I do it my way, or will I do it the way that I think is best, or will I do it the way that I'm thinking is best, or will I do it the way that spiritually is going to challenge me? You know, and it's difficult at times when we, you know, feel like everything's coming down on our shoulders and the world's crashing down and we can't pay the bills and things are going on in our health and things are going on in our family and you know, and, you know, we don't know what God is up to. And if he would just come down and give us a complete blueprint, we'd be like, all right, now I got it. You know, I can trust you. But in all reality, that's not how he works. You know, he's given us his word, you know, and we have to trust that his promises are true. You know, and in his flawlessness, that in his sinlessness, that he has been that superior sacrifice that he is also the superior mediator. That in the past that they would have to go to the priests and you know and confess their sins and they would offer their sacrifices or you know say our little prayers. But in reality we can go directly right to the source. That we can go right to Jesus and we can 
call upon his name and we can ask for him to move and we can believe that his presence will come and we believe that he is the great comforter that he wants to move in our lives more than we realize that if we would just give him a little bit of room that we would be amazed on how that he mediates on our behalf greater than we could ever know you know and that so often because we can't see the bigger picture that we settle for less and it's hard. You know, we think that somehow he's going to get it wrong or we think somehow that he's forgotten about us. We think somehow that we're not as important. You know, and there's other people that we see God moving in their lives and we see other people how God has blessed them and we see, you know, and we start comparing. You know, that's the biggest problem with social media these days is that everyone's comparing their lives to everyone else and all we're seeing is a little window of what other people want them to see. And it's not seeing the the brokenness that's going on in each one of our lives. You know, and it's important that we realize that God sees all of those things and yet He's still able to be trusted because He works all these things together for good according to His purposes for those that trust Him. You know, and I'm not saying it's easy to trust Him when everything's going crazy because that's the time that it's the hardest to trust Him. But yet, if I take my will back, I know where I end up. How about you? You know, my will leads to some pretty crazy places. You know, and that's not a place that I want to visit any longer. You know, and I have to abandon my old ways of thinking and my old ways of living. Because if I ever try to to compare the two, and I think that I can somehow make some good decisions, you know, I might trust myself. You know, and I've proven to myself that I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch. You know, and if I stop doing it Jesus' way, I can have that back. I don't have any doubts that I can have back the destruction that I once had. You know, and it's important that each one of us realizes that His way is really the only way. You know, and as we, we grow in our understanding that He is the great mediator, that he came and, and he was that sacrifice and he is that priest and he is our king, that it changes the way that we look at him. You know, I find typically over and over and over again that we like the idea that Jesus saves us and we're going to have eternity in heaven. But when we put Jesus in the, in the place of master, it's a little bit more uncomfortable follow Jesus when we put him in the place of Lord where he has the last say of what we're going to do or not and that when he says things that we're supposed to submit and obey to it it's a little bit more uncomfortable then we realize that our will is really not our own that we've signed up to be a part of the army of God that you know it's important that we realize that he is the commander of the hosts of God's heavenly armies. And that we've kind of signed up, said, I'm ready to be a part of that. And when the commander says, do this or don't do that, we still think that we have a voice. Now, if you go to any SEAL team these days and said, hey, will you rebel against your commanding officer? There is no way that they're doing that. Why? Because they have an understanding of authority. See, we still struggle. We, we think that we can use our own will to do what we want. In reality, when we say that I want Jesus in my life, 
that he is my Lord, he is my master, he is my king, that his word becomes the pathway that we do our best to follow and still fall short. See, he's a loving king. So he he knows that there's going to be times that we slip up. There's going to be times that we struggle. He knows those things. You know, so he's not this commanding officer that, that punishes us every time that we don't get it right. You know, he's this loving father that comes into these moments and, and picks us up and dusts us off and kisses, you know, our skin knee and says, come on, I, I got this. You know, but yet, at the end of the day, we have to choose. Is it my will or his will? Because there really isn't an in-between. Like, I'm going to do it my way or I'm going to do it his way. You know, and it, it's difficult because sometimes I try to, to mask my way and put his name on it. But in the end, it's really just me trying to manipulate and get what I want in Jesus' mighty name. You know, and it's so important that we really allow the Word of God to renew our minds and change the way we think and the, what we desire. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian and, and people told me that, you know, He gives you the desires of your heart. Anything you pray in His name, He gives you. And I'm like, abracadabra, hocus pocus in Jesus' mighty name. You know, and I started throwing Jesus' name on everything I wanted. And I did not understand why I was not getting the desires of my heart. Because my heart was corrupted. And it was still in, very much the, the heart of a sinner, the heart of an unrighteous man, the, the heart of a wretch, the heart of someone that's selfish, the heart of someone that didn't want God's way, he wanted his own way. And he was trying to use, you know, Jesus' name as, you know, casting spells, basically. You know, and it's like, wow, Tom, that's pretty extreme. But it's true. You know, how often have we tried to manipulate God to get our own will accomplished? And then we get frustrated and angry, and sometimes we step back from God because He didn't do it what we we wanted. You know, I know that I've had moments where I've almost left the church because in Jesus' name I didn't get what I wanted. You know, this must not be God's will then. Like, no, it was God's will. It just wasn't Tom's will. You know, and I had to choose. You know, and, and it's things like I was just discussing. If that Tom's will, if I pick up Tom's will again, where I might end up, and it's never good. You know, and I remember in the very early days of getting sober, in the very early days of, of trying to figure out Jesus, and, and people were talking about God's will. You know, and something that was said to me, and I'll never forget, you have a better chance of doing the opposite of what you want or what you don't want to find God than continuing to do what you want and what you don't want to do. And in the very beginning, I started doing the opposite of what I was thinking and what I was wanting. And then somewhere down the road, I thought I got super spiritual and all of a sudden my wants were different. You know, my wants are still the same old wants. I just mask them different and find some scriptures to back up what I want and throw some Jesus on it and ask the Holy Ghost to move. And it seems all super spiritual, so then it must be true, right? But in reality, I'm still trying to manipulate. I'm still trying to control. I'm still trying to get my way accomplished. You know, and I believe that what this author is trying to tell us is that 
you know, he is the king that we must follow. He is the priest that we must listen to. You know, and that he is a greater than anything that we have ever tried to do in the past. That in his graciousness, he offers forgiveness. That Jesus is that sac- that sacrifice that's a permanent foundation for this new covenant. That, you know, he has spoken about from the prophets of old. That all sins would be forgiven. You know, and see what they're continuing to struggle with is that they want things to happen the way they want it to happen. It's the same things that we struggle with. You know, and, you know, I don't know where, exactly where I picked it up, but it, it's still true to this day. Is that I have to release the way that I thought it would be. I thought it would be this way by now. Like I have these yard markers in my mind that by the time that I was 30, I was going to be here. By the time I was 35, I was going to be here. By the time I was 40, I was going to be here. And I have this imaginary world built up in my mind that that's the way it's going to be when I get there. And all of a sudden I walked past those things and none of the things that I had been imagining had ever happened. And I'm mad at God because of it. Because really what I was doing is making these wishes. And God is not a genie in a Bible. That we don't read some scriptures and make wishes. You know, we ask for His will to be accomplished in our lives. You know, and we surrender our will. We surrender our sin nature. We surrender our lives to Him and say, lead me, guide me, use me how you see fit. So often we're still trying to use God how we think we should be used. You know, and I, I wrestled. I've wrestled with Him over and over through the years. You know, in the, in the, in the years past, you know, I had this idea, you know, that God's moving powerfully in my life and, you know, I wanted to be a youth pastor. And that door would not open and I would get so frustrated that the door would not open. Like, God, I would be a great youth pastor. I love working with teenagers. I love working with kids. You know, I'm good at it. You know, probably because I'm a little childish in my brain still, but that's a whole nother story. You know, and that door just wouldn't open. That door wouldn't open. And people would tell me, like, Tom, you have a grace to work with people that are broken. And I'm like, I don't want to work with them. I want to work with the youth. And that door just would not open. You know, and some of you have heard this story, and some of you are new. But finally, when I surrendered and said, all right, God, I'm going to do it your way, doors to, you know, started to open up to different aspects of recovery ministry. You know, and I was sent to uh, Jamaica for a couple of months to learn how to operate a teen challenge. So I'm certified through Global Teen Challenge to run a program. You know, I come home and there was still a little bit of me that still kind of wanted to work with the youth. And I had to, to surrender that and say, God, your will be done. You know, and when I finally let that go, you know, those those messages on Facebook that we get from people that we don't really know. You know, like, hey, how are you? And you're like, yeah, no, not opening that. You know, and all of a sudden, these that whole pile of messages pops up. And I'm like, I've never seen this before. And I start looking through it. And I'm like, these are nobody I know. These are robots. These are porn sites. These are, wait, who's this lady? And she's like, thank you so much. I'm like, that's not a normal site. So I, I click on it, and I start reading it. And it's some woman that I prayed for her sons probably five or six years ago. 
And she's like, you prayed for my sons, and they're completely different. They're following God. They're plugged into the church now. And Our church needs a youth minister. Would you think about coming out here and becoming our youth pastor? And if I would have saw that in the season that I was in because I wanted my will to be accomplished, I would have totally left what God wanted for what I wanted. And God waited until I finally surrendered my will to show me that what I wanted was completely less than what he had in store. You know, and there's times like, Jesus, this makes, this isn't fair, right? This is the, the fun thing that we like to throw around. You know, that you've put me in the middle of the two hardest things to accomplish. Get people sober and get people saved. Guess what, Tom? It's not your responsibility to get either one of those people to do either one of those things. It's my job to keep pointing to Jesus. He's the answer. He's the answer. What is it? He's the answer. What are we going through? He's the answer. You know, and what I've learned is I'm a signpost in the road of life. And I'm pointing in the direction that we need to go. And I do my best to chase after him myself. You know, I'm not trying to tell anybody to do things that I don't try to do myself. And I point to Jesus and I, I, I call on his name and I, I ask you guys to pray and you guys ask me for advice and my first thing I say is, did you pray about it? And you're like, oh, just tell me what to do. No, pray. Because if you connect to Jesus, you'll never need a person that your relationship with Jesus begins to explode. And it doesn't mean that we don't need accountability. It doesn't mean that we don't need people. What I mean is that when we have this relationship with Jesus, religion begins to fall away. And we fall in love with our Savior, our priestly King, our Master. And this doesn't become work anymore, that we want to do these things because we want to get closer to Him. So often we've tried to resist sin in one area or another, and it's so difficult. It feels like you know someone's you know pulling things out of our fingers, and we're like, ah, I don't want to let go. And when we grab a hold of Jesus, we don't want those things. Things begin to strip away. You know, and I'm not saying it's easy. Since I was a little kid, I was a thief. I mean, since I was like in kindergarten, I've been stealing everything I can get my hands in the store. And I remember my very first time that I tried to steal a candy bar in the, in the store in Morrisville, New York. I came outside and I started opening it up. My mom's like, where'd you get that? And I'm like, well, I took it. Like, I told you no, because I did ask her if she wanted to buy it for me, and she said no, put it back. And I said, okay, putting it in my pocket. And what I learned that day is that mom could not be trusted when I steal things. It wasn't to stop stealing things. It was, I need to hide things when I steal them. And from a young age, every store I went into, I would steal things. You know, and this went on through the majority of my life. You know, I would go into every store and take something out of it. And it became more and more of a challenge that I would do more and more risky things because I was getting good at it. And what I began to learn is that no one needs to know what I'm doing. And I just continue to hide this sin area in my life. And even when I got sober, you know, and even when I started to believe in God, and even when I started to believe in Jesus, but I'm still trying to use Jesus to just get sober. I'm not letting him into all the areas of my life. Eventually, after I relapsed again, and I came back to the Lord, and I started chasing after him, and I started asking him to heal me, and I started asking him to change 
my mind and take my depression and take my anxiety and take my addiction and heal my heart and help me to forgive. Give me the willingness to forgive. Give me the willingness to let go. All of a sudden, months had passed and it clicked in my mind like, you haven't stolen anything in a while. And I'm like, wow, I haven't stolen anything in a while. That area in my life that had been there for 25 years just fell away. Because I realized that there was something so much better. You know, and addictions fell away, and depression fell away, and anger fell away. And it doesn't mean that I didn't have to work on things. It didn't mean that I didn't have to arrest thoughts. It didn't mean that I didn't have to be accountable. But as I pressed in and chased after Jesus, these things began to fall away. And so often we're trying to resist, resist, resist. And we keep falling into. And when we chase after Jesus, and we fall in love with who He really is, that we realize that He is far superior than anything that we've ever had in the past. You know, that He is the the complete sacrifice. That He is the forgiveness of all sins. You know, the author begins to elevate Jesus to this place where there's no comparison. He's telling that in Jesus we have found God's very word. That Jesus is the only hope. That Jesus is seen to be our eternal priest. That he is our perfect sacrifice. So we should now follow all of the great stories of faith. You know, and he goes on through and he starts telling of all the different people of, in the Old Testament that were men and women of faith. You know, and that they were waiting for what they're now experiencing. That they stood in faith not having the fulfillment of what God was telling them. That through Jesus' sacrifice and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that they were now in the very things that the prophets and the, and the patriarchs of old we're waiting for. You know, that that we are to remain faithful to Jesus. That de- despite any hardship, despite any persecution, that we face God and that He'll never abandon us. That the author is talking about that His death and sacrifice was the complete covering of all sin. You know, and through the years, you know, there's times that we struggle in areas that of unforgiveness. You know, and some of us have done some really awful things. Let's just put it blunt. You know, and we struggle with letting God forgive us of these things. You know, and we think that God could forgive other people. And we know that God has forgiven us in certain areas, but yet there's certain areas that we hold back from God because I can't forgive myself, so I won't let God forgive me of that. You know, and Paul is talking about this very issue in Hebrews. Because he's talking about that this sacrifice that Jesus, you know, committed, his death on the cross was the payment of all sin. And that his, you know, burial and resurrection was the freedom that we've all been waiting for. You know, and there's times that we we really struggle with the, the conviction and the guilt and the condemnation and, and it's a mess. It's just this ball of yarn in our, our mind and it's like difficult to to navigate through and it's like am I com- 
condemned or am I convicted? You know, and they're like, oh, and we, we bounce back and forth in these areas in our mind. You know, and then we get a little bit of freedom in an area and the, and the devil comes in and whispers in our ear how awful we are and God couldn't really love us. And we're like, yeah, you're right. You know, and then we're like, oh, I lost my salvation today. And then later on we hear something on the radio and, oh, nope, love Jesus again. You know, we, we, we flop back and forth between really following Jesus and, and yet following our emotions. You know, and I believe that what Paul is really trying to say is that do we need another sacrifice? Do we need Christ to be sacrificed again? Is our sin so powerful that his death wasn't enough for what we've gone through? Well, no. You know, when you put it that way. But yet, I still have a hard time of forgiving myself in areas, right? You know, and I believe that what Paul is really, or I'm saying Paul because I, I think it was Paul as the author, but it's really unknown. So let me back up. What the author is talking about is that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for any of our sins. That technically Jesus' sacrifice was enough for everyone's sin. That everyone's sin has already been paid for. All sin of the past, all sin of present, all sin of the future, technically, has been bought and paid for by Jesus' sacrifice. And it's hard for us to really wrap our mind around that. Like, could that one event really cleanse the world of all sin? Well, yeah, technically. The complication is, is that I need to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. And there's a whole lot of people that don't want Jesus or the forgiveness of their sins because they think their sins are fun still. Some of us in this room still struggle with some of the areas that we think sin is fun. You know, and we still wrestle with, you know, the pain of letting certain sins back in. So we haven't really committed ourselves to believe that that sacrifice is to set us free because we still think that sin is fun. But yet, there's this other category of sins of old that we've committed. That in our right mind, we know better. And because I know better, I won't allow myself to let Jesus forgive me. You know, and it's something that we, we have to wrestle with. You know, when I first got saved, you know, they told me that Jesus would forgive me if I, you know, just ask him. And I, I wouldn't believe that. Because I was putting my human nature on God rather than letting Christ be in me. You know, and I fought with it. I fought with my reasoning versus the Bible. You know, and eventually one night, you know, you know, I, I started to let that pain go. But there were still things that I had done. I'm like, well, Jesus can forgive lots of stuff, but this is really some bad stuff. And everyone's like, well, no, Jesus can forgive it. I'm like, that's too easy. It's too easy. Like, there, I need to suffer some more. And it, like, we, when you say it out loud, it seems crazy. But in our head, you know, we want to put ourselves in the place of Jesus. We want to whip that person some more. We want to take the crown of thorns and smash it on their head. We want to mock that person. We want to spit in that person's... We want to nail ourselves to that cross. 
and then that would be enough. If I died, then my sacrifice would be enough for my sins. And it's just not, it's not true. And we have to let Jesus be Jesus. Because in our goodness, we could never be a perfect sacrifice even for our own sins. That he laid down his life so that we could have freedom in this day and in our tomorrows. You know, and there's times that, you know, people come from different places. You know, some of us are, have a real easy time forgiving other people, but we have a hard time with forgiving ourselves. And then there's the opposite camp that really has an easy time forgiving ourselves. It's other people that we have a hard time with. And I think that the enemy gets in there and starts to whisper in our ear and tell us that Jesus isn't enough. That other people need to prove it, or I need to prove it. You know, and what's really going on is that there's this pride that's stuck in our mind that keeps us stuck, that we think we know better. And there's a lot of things in the Bible I agree with, but me being free, there needs to be a little bit more work to be done. And I think that it's important that we really believe that what Jesus did was enough. It was enough for me, and it was enough for the person that I have angst against. And each one of us has to come to terms with that. You know, and forgiveness is a tricky thing because it's, it goes to the root of our heart. You know, and we want something to be different. We wish that we could go back in time and either get something from someone or not do something. You know, and I believe that that's why it says that for, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is because the wage of sin is death, but there's a wage to sin. There's a payment that needs to be paid. And so, yet yeah, still we want to collect. We want to collect the wage. And so often I'm collecting the wage from the next person. You lied to me, I'll lie to you. You stole from me, I stole from you. You abused me, I abuse you. So the wage of sin gets passed on to the next. And it's only until Jesus cancels the debt and we allow that debt to be canceled, that not only do we walk in freedom, but those that we've carried you know, around with us begin to walk in freedom. Because there's nothing that we can do to, to get certain events changed in our past. But what we can do is allow the sacrifice of Christ to be enough that we can walk forward and, and walk in a freedom that this world says, there's something different about you. And you don't carry yourself the way you used to. You know, and I think that it's things that each one of us has to wrestle with. Forgiveness is one of these things that attacks us all. You know, I would care to say that everybody in this room has someone that you have unforgiveness towards, even if it's just yourself. And it's something that we have to keep bringing it back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you gotta heal my heart. Because this is really a heart thing and our mind keeps us stuck in that place. So we have to trust Scripture above the way we think and the way we feel. And that's what I believe that Paul is really trying to get to the point here, is that is Jesus, the Word of God, was His sacrifice enough for you? And trust that He has great things in coming because these people of old trusted Him so much that they lived their lives 
extraordinary to everything around them. And they had faith in what's to come, and that is now here. And we are in that. We still have the benefits of what Jesus has done, and the Holy Spirit is still moving today, you know, healing our hearts and renewing our minds and changing our lives and changing our family and changing our kids and changing our parents and changing our jobs and changing our finances, changing our health and change whatever it is. We have to put it at its feet and say, your will, your will. You know, and I want freedom and my way of doing things keeps me stuck. So often the, the, the jail cell, the door's been ripped off. And yet the chains have been broken, but we still sit in the cell thinking that we're a prisoner because we identify with what had happened rather than identifying with who he is. So our identity is still in an event or, or something that took place rather than letting what Jesus has done become our true identity so that we can walk in freedom as sons and daughters of God. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I, I thank you so much. I thank you that you set each and every one of us free. But I believe that there's more freedom for each and every one of us, including myself. Lord, help us to align ourselves with your word. Help us to trust in what you have done is true. Lord, that you have power to set the captives free. Help us to come before you as, as broken men and women and say, Lord, I, I want your freedom. Lord, give me the willingness to let go. God, give me the willingness to forgive. Because I, I'm still angry. I'm still upset. I'm still broken in this area or another. I'm still mad at that person. I'm still mad at myself. But Lord, I want your freedom. So, Lord, would you guide me right now? Would you help me to accept what you have done as payment for what has taken place in my past? And, Lord, help me to walk forward as as your son and your daughter, Lord. Help me to walk for, forward in your freedom. Help me to, to grab a hold of my identity in Christ and not let go. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, help me with my unbelief. But help me to continue to walk forward and trust in you more and more each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.